Hey, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. It's been an entire year of the podcast as of last week. Can you believe it? I hope you caught the awesome retelling of David and Goliath that my kid Kieran wrote that we put up for the anniversary celebration last week. Um, and now here we are at episode 37. I mean, originally I'd hoped to get to 52 episodes in a year because that's how many weeks are in a year. But once a week was taking a lot of energy and I didn't have much to spare some of these times. Still, we have done a lot of stories. If you get the chance, you should comment on Facebook or Twitter or something and let me know which has been your favorite. Um, I don't really know which has been my favorite. I actually really like the first episode where I told the creation story. That was a lot of fun. I want to thank my patrons for their support, my friends who listen for getting excited about stories with me um, and supporting me, and my spouse Luke for doing so much to help me copy editing, sound editing, listening to me plan stories aloud, even writing some episodes. I really appreciate all his help. Could not do it without him. Well, I didn't finish all the stories that were ever told in the about the Exodus period, and I still might get to some of them eventually, but now I'm finally getting to one I've really been looking forward to telling that takes place right after the end of the Moses era. This one has spies, miracles, deception, bravery, and a cool lady, and y'all know I'm all about the cool Bible ladies. This is the story of how Joshua, Moses' right-hand man and now his replacement as the leader of Israel, conquered the city of Jericho and began the conquest of the Promised Land. And yeah, those lands were full of cities and people, so it's kind of problematic to take it literally, like my family did, and say it's good, but it's a myth, so that's how I'm telling it. Try to hear it as hyperbole. That is to say, the story works better if you understand it as a deliberate exaggeration, or as symbolic fiction about the battle between good and evil. It's kind of like how in Lord of the Rings, if you've watched that, orcs are always evil, so you're not supposed to feel bad when the good guys destroy them, and they have to be completely destroyed, because if they aren't, they'll destroy everything good in the world, because they're just thoroughly bad. It's like that. But I mean, even then, you don't have to like it. Maybe you prefer stories about friendly dragons and helpful monsters and good orcs, and that's kind of a new development in fiction that I think is really good. Uh, and even in this story, where you're supposed to accept that the people currently in the Promised Land are so evil that they need to be completely destroyed so the country can be good, there's still some characters that subvert that idea. Anyway, so there's the context for this for you. And I hope you can find something to enjoy in this story, because parts of it are a lot of fun, in my opinion. So, everyone in Israel had wandered around the desert for 40 years... And then Moses had died on a mountain overlooking the promised land. Those are stories for another day. And now Joshua, grown up, was the leader. And God was telling him it was time. It was time to cross the Jordan River to go west and begin to take over the land God had promised Abraham a very long time ago. They were faced with a huge task and Moses had just died. Joshua was suddenly leading the people on his own. Be strong and courageous, God told Joshua. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be strong and very courageous and obey the law. I have commanded you be strong and courageous because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I mean, if it's a command from God to be strong and courageous, I guess that's what you got to do. So Joshua gathered the people and he said, get ready. In three days, we're crossing the Jordan River into Canaan and we're going to take the land that God has promised us. And everyone replied to Joshua, as we obeyed Moses, we'll also obey you. Only we hope the Lord God is with you like he was with Moses. And anyone who doesn't do what you say will be put to death. 
Only be strong and courageous. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies to look over the land, especially the first city they'd be going to, Jericho. The last time spies had gone to check out the land was back in Moses' day, you see, 40 years ago. They had sent out spies from every one of the 12 tribes, and they all came back scared, too intimidated. So they lied and exaggerated, saying all the Canaanites were giants. Every person was a giant, and, and they could never take over the land. Only one spy, Caleb, kept his head and said, we can do it. But the people refused to go. Because of the spies' message, they were too scared to cross the Jordan and try to take over Canaan like God told them to, so God cursed them to wander the desert for 40 years until the generation that was adults when they left Egypt all died off. And then God killed all the spies who scared everyone except Caleb was allowed to live. Joshua and Caleb were the only elders left in Israel when they got ready to cross the Jordan River. So anyways, this time Joshua just sent out two trusted men to spy out the land, and he's done it in secret, so if they don't have an encouraging report, he'll be the only one to know. And the spies went to Jericho, this big city with a wall all around it to protect the people, and they stayed with an innkeeper lady named Rahab. And the king of Jericho sent men to Rahab and said, uh, we heard there's some spies from that big encampment of Hebrews across the Jordan, and we think they might be here. And she said, oh my goodness, I did see two strange men. Is that where they were from? I had no idea. They're not here anymore. They left when the gate closed in the evening. Go quickly. Maybe you can catch them. But the spies did not leave the city. Rahab had hidden them under some stuff on her roof. So the city guards, not seeing any strange men in Rahab's inn, left out the gate of the city looking for the spies. And then Rahab went up to the roof to talk to the two spies. She said, I know your God's giving you this land. We've all been afraid of this day. We've been afraid all our lives. We heard how you crossed the sea on dry land when you came out of Egypt. We heard about the battles you fought in the desert and what happened to any kings who tried to stop you. Our hearts melted in fear. Our courage failed because of you, because we know your God is the strongest God on earth and in heaven. So swear to me that you will let me and my family live when you conquer the land, because I've saved your lives. Swear that you will spare the lives of my parents and my siblings and their families. Our lives for your lives, the men told her, and they gave her a piece of scarlet red rope. If you keep our mission a secret, we will spare you. But tie this red cord in your window, and everyone you want to protect must be inside your house. The red cord will be the symbol for us to pass over your house and spare everyone inside when we come to take over the city. Don't let anyone go into the street when we come. If they aren't inside the house with the scarlet cord, we won't be held responsible for their deaths. So Rahab agreed. And then she let the men out of the city over the wall by throwing a rope out the window. And they climbed down and she watched them leave. And then she tied the scarlet cord in her window and waited. The two men crossed the Jordan River, wading carefully through floodwaters. Back at the camp, the spies reported to Joshua, the hearts of everyone in the city are melting in fear because of us. And that's like good news. The next morning, Joshua sent men through the camp telling everyone, make sure your bodies and hearts are clean because we'll be following the Lord God's holy ark of the covenant. And God's going to do some amazing things. So be clean. But even so, don't get too close to the ark or you'll die. So they went. And a few men, priests, carrying the ark, that big golden box, went ahead of them to show the way. 
And if you don't know about the Ark, that was in episode 34. But basically, it's just this really fancy, ornate, sacred casket that the Lord God's presence rested on. And some very special items, some sacred artifacts were inside it. Anyway, so they, they carry the Ark. And it was spring. And the Jordan River was at flood stage, full from the spring rains. It was running deep and wide and fast and noisy. And the priests carrying the Ark stepped up to the river. And they stepped forward, and the two priests in front got their toes just ever so slightly wet, and all the people were behind them watching, the whole nation, thousands and thousands of people. And as soon as the water touched those priests' toes, the water just stopped. That river running at floods changed, it stopped, and it retreated. It went back up. It piled up upriver. And then the water on the other side kept flowing down the river and the Jordan River dried up and the priests stepped into the river and stood there on dry land carrying the ark. Everyone crossed the river in front of them and the sacred ark of the covenant was between them and the growing pile of water as it got taller and taller and the entire nation crossed the river on dry land. Sounds familiar, maybe. If you've listened to the Exodus stories, maybe you've spotted some other parallels or echoes, I wonder. I've seen a couple. Anyway, after they got across the river, everyone crossed by on dry land in front of the priests. And then Joshua sent one leader from each of the tribes back to the riverbed to grab each to each grab one large stone. And they carried their stones, big, heavy stones. They must have been strong guys. They carried the stones on their shoulders up to the riverbank out of the way of the flood water when it would come back. And Joshua told them how to arrange them. And they set up these stones as a memorial one day, Joshua told the people, your children and their children and their children will ask you, what are these stones doing here? What do they mean? And you will tell them that the waters were cut off and the rivers stopped running because the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord passed in front of them and Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And these stones were collected from that river bottom. And when you see these stones, you will always remember this story and pass it down forever. And then Joshua called the priests carrying the ark out of the river. And as soon as they were out of the way, the water came rushing and splashing back into place. And everyone was in awe of Joshua. They had heard the story of Moses parting the Red Sea. And they knew the Lord was with Joshua like he had been with Moses. They camped out in Canaan and prepared to take over the land. One night, Joshua saw a man with a sword drawn. Are you for us or for our enemies? He challenged him. Neither, said the man, I have come as the commander of the army of the Lord God. And then Joshua was like, oh, I know the Lord God. And he fell down to the ground in reverence to the messenger and said, my Lord, I'm your servant. What message do you have for me? Take off your sandals, said the messenger, because where you're standing is a holy place. I wonder if Joshua had heard the story of when Moses first met the Lord God in the burning bush. And the voice in the bush told him, Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And maybe Joshua got really excited, like, heckin' yeah, it's my sandals moment, just like Moses. So here he's up and takes off his sandals. And the text interrupts the narrative here to inform us that not only was Jericho shut up in a big wall with a sturdy gate, that gate had stayed locked. The city was completely locked up on account of the Israelites hanging around, and no one had come in or out in, like, days. My spouse, Luke, says it's like in a heist movie when they tell you all the defenses that the guys are going to have to bypass or hack or fool or fight their way through to get to the treasure. It's like that. 
And next we know the Lord's speaking to Joshua and he says, I have given Jericho to you. And then he tells us everything that's about to happen and the rules they have to follow and the outcome they will get. And it actually goes according to plan. Not at all how it would go if this was a heist movie or any modern adventure story. So I'll just tell you the plan as it unfolds because there's more drama that way. But uh, if you remember Gideon or perhaps the story of Deborah, you know God likes convoluted magic battle plans. So it's going to be good. So anyways, Joshua has his marching orders from the Lord God, and they are literally marching orders. Every able-bodied man who can fight lines up in their armor, holding their weapons, and in front of them are priests carrying the ark, and in front of them are seven priests holding trumpets made of ram's horns, and they're constantly playing them, and then they march. They march up to the city, the whole host of men, thousands of, of them. They're all silent except for the sound of marching and the seven trumpets. And I think maybe the trumpets like keep time so everyone can march together like a marching song. That's what I've always pictured. Then when they get to the city, it's all walled up and everyone inside is like really scared because the Israelite army has finally showed up, but they don't attack. Everyone inside waits nervously and the army just marches around the big wall that surrounds the city. They march silently and the trumpets blow. And when they've completed one lap around the city, they march back to camp. The next day, they march up again, the priests with trumpets in front blowing the horns, more priests followed, carrying the sacred Ark of the Covenant on its four poles, and then the whole army of silent men march, march, march around the city, back to camp, up to the city, around the city, back to camp. For six days, they did this, one lap around the city every day. On the seventh day, they marched up to the city, but when they finished their first lap, they did not turn and go back to camp on the seventh day. Instead, they walked around again and again and again. In total, seven times they marched around the city. The men were marching, never speaking a word, and the priests kept time on their trumpets. And when they completed the seventh lap, well, I bet the trumpeters were out of breath, but they gave one last very long, very loud blast on the trumpets. And that was the signal they'd all been waiting for. When they heard that signal, every single man marching shouted as loud as he could. And then, when they shouted, the walls of the city crumbled into rubble and dust and collapsed. They came tumbling down, as the old African-American spiritual says. And the walls fell down, and the men stretched around the city for marching around it. They ran just straight up into the city, over the rubble in a big cloud of dust, and began their attack. They'd all been told before to spare everyone in the house with the red cord in the window. So Rahab and her family were safe. Joshua himself made sure that she and her family came out safely. And Rahab lived among the Israelites for the rest of her days. But nobody else was allowed to live. And moreover, they'd been told not to take any treasure. They'd been told that the valuable items were dedicated to God and no one could have them or else God would be angry at their disobedience. Basically, because the people of Jericho worshipped other gods than the Lord God, they were all considered bad guys who could not be allowed to live, because if they lived, they'd get the Israelites to disobey God too. Because remember, having other gods was a sin to the Lord God according to the rules. So the whole book of Joshua is about getting rid of those people. Rahab was allowed to live, though, because she believed in the Lord God. Anyway, after the battle, or massacre might be more accurate, nobody survived. The Israelites burned the city, and Joshua stood over the ruins, the broken stones of the city, and pronounced a curse that anyone who ever attempted to rebuild Jericho would be cursed and his children would die. And Joshua became famous throughout the land, and everyone in Canaan was afraid 
But the Israelites were all really excited. But God was actually not excited, and they did not realize this. God was mad because one man had taken some of the stuff that was supposed to either be destroyed or go into God's treasury. One person took the devoted treasure they'd been told not to take. Remember that in these stories, obedience to God is good and disobedience is an evil so deadly it must be wiped out? Disobedience to God was called sin, at least in the in the Christian tradition. That's the definition of sin. But uh, the Israelites didn't know that one man had sinned, and they didn't know God was totally angry at the entire nation because of that. So, still excited from their astounding victory, Joshua sent spies to check out the nearby city of Ai, and the spies said it wasn't a very big town. The spies said, don't even bother to send the whole army, just in like a couple thousand, and they'd still vastly outnumber the city. Plus, I mean, they just destroyed Jericho, a much bigger city. So they were very confident, and Joshua sent men to attack with a relatively small force, except somehow the small force of armed men in Ai turned them back, killed a few of them, and ran the rest of them down off the mountain. And then everyone was afraid. They lost all their confidence. The text says their hearts melted like water. They were not feeling strong or particularly courageous. And Joshua was, like, bewildered, confused humiliated, probably angry, he fell down on his face to talk to God. Oh, Lord, if only we had stayed on the other side of the Jordan River. Why did you bring your people here only to have them defeated? Now all the nations will hear we've been defeated, that we're easy to defeat, and they will not be afraid of us. They'll come to crush us. Then your people will be wiped out. No one who worships you will be left, and then what will you do to defend your own name? Because Joshua knows what's like God's priorities are here. And God just says, get off your face. Israel has sinned. They broke the agreement I made with him, which I explicitly told them not to break. Somebody took some of the things devoted to destruction, which I said not to take. So you can't stand against your enemies because I've made you vulnerable to destruction. So God told Joshua to make the people consecrate themselves, make themselves holy and clean, so they'd be clean, and then they must get rid of the things that were supposed to be destroyed and get rid of the person who broke the rules. So Joshua had all the people gathered by tribe and clan and family. Then they first chose one tribe of the 12 tribes, and then they narrowed it down from bigger groups to smaller groups and smaller groups until they selected one man, Achan. Joshua said, My son, honor God and tell me what you have done. And Achan said, It's true. I sinned. I took a beautiful robe and there was some gold and silver because I wanted them and I took them and then I dug a hole in my tent and I hid the treasure. I have sinned. So Joshua's like, Wow, that's all this is because you just couldn't keep your hands off the treasure. So he sent messengers to dig up the items Achan had taken and then they uh, they arranged it all so that the Lord could see that they had found all the treasure and that they were taking care of the sin. Then Joshua said to Achan, you brought trouble on all of us. And now the Lord God will bring trouble on you. And then the nation killed Achan and his children and his animals. And um, they burnt the bodies in a pile along with the stolen treasures and Achan's tent and everything he owned. And I'm sorry to say that children were considered property like a tent or some clothes. So that was a justification there. And then they uh, piled a bunch of rocks over the ashes of everything they'd burnt. And they named the place the Valley of Achor, which means the Valley of Trouble. 
And that's what they called it for many years after. And when they said the name of the place, they remembered the story, how one man got them in trouble with God. And then God told them, the Israelites, to go back and battle Ai again. Only this time, they actually could keep the treasure they found, which I think is kind of ironic. So they, uh, they, they set up this plan. They made it look like they were attacking again, and they, they sent some of their guys up, marching up to attack, and then the soldiers of Ai were like, you're back again, we already fought you off. So they came chasing them out, and then the Israelites ran, and Ai, the king of Ai, and all the soldiers are like, ha, just like last time, they're running from us. So they go chasing after them, except this time it was a trap. The Israelites had set up an ambush of thousands of men in hiding. So as the men of Ai chased the Israelite army, they left the city undefended. And the men waiting in ambush headed in to take the city and they set it on fire. The whole city, they set it on fire. And the Israelites, who were pretending to be routed, who were pretending to be running away in retreat, when they saw the smoke from the fire, they stopped running and turned to fight. But the city was already destroyed. The city was destroyed and then the army and all the people were destroyed. And then Joshua built an altar on a nearby mountain and assembled all the people. Then Joshua read to them the entire book of the law, every word Moses had recorded about God and the Exodus and the rules they must follow, everything their fathers had agreed to do. He didn't leave out a single word. And everyone, adults, children, and foreigners living with them heard the whole story. And then they all resolved, you know, to be better than their fathers in obeying the Lord God. Um, and that's all for today from the first part of the book of Joshua. I'll be back in two weeks with some stories from the book of Daniel, which is like a totally different period of the Old Testament, but also a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child. <laughs>